0: During the following week, my mood was unsettled. I was irritable, jumpy. Cerise had finally returned from Greece, but things continued to be difficult between us. My colleagues noticed that I was always on the phone. Robin insisted on going away secretly for a weekend with me, and I agreed. So she told elaborate lies to her husband, Mike, and I to Cerise. And on a Friday afternoon, I left work early, got on a train, and got off at the station Robin had named. And when I stepped onto the platform, she was waiting for me, disguised in the practical gray raincoat of a suburban wife. She drove me through a landscape of hills and meadows until we turned off onto a dirt road and rumbled to the side of a large lake where a little rowboat was quietly bobbing in the water. And then we got in the boat, she handed me the oars, and we rowed across to a small island. On the island, there is just one house, not large, but quite modern in style. We walked in the door and put down our things. Everywhere you looked, there were bright, clean surfaces with sharply sprouting plants, just like her clean, shiny body with its pubic hair. And then she took my hand and led me up a flight of steps to a small room under a sloping roof where a bed with sparkling white sheets was waiting for us. She sat down on the bed, I sat in a chair, she removed her shoes, and I removed mine. Then she leaned rather languorously back against the headboard of the bed and watched without moving as I awkwardly started to take off my clothes. It seemed awfully funny. Eventually she burst into roars of laughter. Then, rather pensively, she too undressed. I got on the bed, and as we started to embrace, I noticed on the floor, so far below us, all of our clothes in their arbitrary pattern as they'd fallen. What awfulness, what falseness they represented. Everything in the world which we supposedly were, but really were not. How easily a sociologist could look at that pile of shirts, trousers, and underwear and calculate our exact location in the long parade of the human race. How easily he could guess the period we would lived in, the name of our city, and even our beliefs the music we listened to, the books we liked. But it wasn't really right. Of course, when we were 20, when we were 22, we'd reached into the heap of available thoughts and available attitudes and grabbed different things to cover our nakedness. But we always knew they weren't really what we wanted. We'd always planned to return one day and revise it all, But we never had. Naked on the bed, we forgot all the things we decided we were and said we were. We started again. I wasn't the person I'd always pretended to be. I was hardly a particular person at all. It was hot in the little room when we finally woke up, and brilliant with sunlight. Saturday was so short that we never got dressed. We held on to each other, we ate, we silently stared at each other. We even went outside and looked around a little without putting on our clothes. Late in the afternoon, we were wading through the mud at the edge of the island and we heard a loud rustling and froze, terrified. It sounded like there was a huge creature approaching through the trees. Something enormous. Maybe a bear. But when it finally appeared, it was a hilarious badger waddling in our direction.
1: (laughs) I said, give it
0: you laughed out hysterically, I pulled a banana out of the bag I was carrying, quickly peeled it and tossed it toward the batr. He ran away from it as fast as he could. When he screamed like hyenas. it seemed so funny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That night, it was cold, brutally cold, with an icy wind. It was as if we felt wet as we lay in our bed. We hugged each other tightly, but kept on shivering. So she went to a drawer and pulled out two pairs of funny pajamas with a design of rabbits. They were marvelously warm, but they were the beginning of the end. The next day sunday it was gray and rainy and so we put on some clothes our own naturally and by late afternoon we were talking once again about the lives we called ours the things we'd chosen thoughts selves the city the beliefs the music the books The husband. The wife.
2: We began an affair. We rented a rather expensive, rather sensual, slightly vulgar, furnished apartment way out by Glove Park.
0: Cerise bought a cabin way out in the middle of the woods somewhere, in some remote mountainous area full of brooks and streams. She went there more and more often and... When I finally told her I wanted to live with Robin, Cerise decided to move to her cabin for good. So
2: I brought everything over to Pushbroom Lane, including the paintings, the plants, and all the wonderful bright lamps I'd collected for years. I filled the place with soft sofas, soft pillows, and in the newly reborn house, I tried to make something like a home for him. A shrine, almost, to the cult of the penis. I gave him a bath each night before dinner. I set out the bathroom with candles and oils. I washed the penis gently and lovingly in the warm bath and then dressed him in a thick white robe and brought him his food on a table in the bedroom. A cutlet, maybe. Or noodles, his favorite. Then we'd walk "'very quietly over to the bed. i present myself to him, "'splaying out on the satin sheets, "'and we kiss each other, make out,
0: and fuck.'" "'A year passed, and I was well. I was happy. "'But then one night, a sharp pain in my arm woke me suddenly, "'and I rushed into the bathroom "'and saw bleeding lines on my skin.' I'd been roughly scratched. Without even thinking, I dressed quickly and silently, taking the greatest care not to wake Robin. And then I slipped out the door and ran as fast as I could toward the green park. So, life with Robin went on as before. But now every few weeks after we'd gone to bed, I'd "'Get up and sneak out of the house. "'And pretty soon I'd find myself riding on a horse "'through the deep wilderness with the enormous trees "'all the way out to that cold stone castle, "'so dark and so silent in the middle of the night "'that it seemed deserted. "'And I'd make my way through the completely lightless hallways "'to my white cat's room. "'I'd climb into her bed and, and grab hold of her thick white tail with both of my hands, and I'd wake her up, and we'd embrace for hours and murmur to each other in our secret way. Occasionally, she'd take me out to a late-night show in some odd sub-basement below the palace, or every once in a while, we'd climb into her enormous sleigh-like vehicle and fly off to some marvelously painted theater where the walls and even the sets were made of jewels. Or else, to some rough, shack-like structure way out in the darkness of the forest somewhere. Because apparently, there were performances there of every description. Plays and operas and satirical cabarets, all available all night long for any lost souls who might happen to be awake. Once she took me to a puppet show that was filled with choral singing. As 500 or so voices started to slither around each other in a weird, high, silvery harmony, tears instantly began falling down my face. from the way the other cats behaved toward her, I sometimes wondered if my white cat was somehow running the whole place. And I thought if she was, she was awfully clever about it, because it all seemed to be so prosperous and peaceful. Robin didn't seem to notice my late-night excursions. She seemed quite content. And so... Many years passed in the same way.
2: Again and again, I'd wake up suddenly in the middle of the night, and he wouldn't be there. I'd lie in bed, confused and upset, and then hours later I'd see him, returning from wherever he'd been, moving around stealthily so as not to wake me. Usually he'd go in the bathroom to undress, but occasionally he'd stand near the window instead. And more than once I noticed, when he took his clothes off, that his member seemed to be an odd color and looked strangely bruised. One night I broke out of our usual routine. I told him I felt sick and I had to go to bed early. After we ate, I kissed him gingerly, holding him carefully at arm's length. Then I slipped under the covers and I closed my eyes. This was all a ruse. Underneath my pajamas, I wore an elaborate disguise. Male clothing with a large rubber dick inside my black trousers. Of course, he pretended to go to sleep too. Then, a couple of hours later, he slipped out of bed and he began to dress. When he finally left the room, I shed my pajamas, slipped on some shiny black formal men's shoes, which I'd carefully hidden, and followed quickly behind him. I followed him out into the park, till we reached a meadow where bright white moonlight fell on pastel-colored ponies, pink and yellow. Some of them were seated, some playing cards, others were running, and it started to rain. He mounted one of the ponies, I jumped on another. In the freezing rain, I followed him through a rocky landscape, splashing through rivers at terrifying speed, until we reached a large palace, and he hurried inside. When I followed him in, I found myself in a gaily decorated room where a sort of children's party was taking place. I had no time to wonder where he'd gone because I was immediately surrounded by a group of brightly costumed young animals who seemed to be greeting me and welcoming me to the party. Then a thin dog in a sailor hat bounded toward me with a vile grin on his ugly face. He handed me a plate of hotcakes and proceeded to look at me with a brazen, open-mouthed carnality, staring into my eyes while pouring syrup onto my plate from an enormous pitcher. Just as the syrup was about to spill onto the floor, I handed the plate back to the drooling dog and rushed out of the room. A dark passageway led to a huge dining hall where adults were gathered. "'mostly men, and food was being served at a big, long table. "'No one paid any attention to me, so I took a seat, "'and I helped myself to some of the beef stew "'which sat in large bowls along the table. "'The dinner was not a very refined affair "'because donkeys' asses stood at the table "'interspersed among the seated people, "'and while we tried to eat, "'they haphazardly pissed, "'making the floor an unholy mess. "'Although I could tell that all the men "'found the dicks of the donkeys rather big and exciting, "'judging at least from the comments they made. "'After a while, I grew restless. "'I was sitting by chance next to a chef from the kitchen "'who had somehow gathered around him a coterie of cats.' The cats wanted to know how every fucking dish was made. Uh, how is that prepared? Meow, meow. Uh, how is that prepared? Meow, meow. For some reason, that irritated me.
0: That night, my white cat behaved rather strangely. As I lay naked on the bed, my pulsating member pointing toward the ceiling, almost begging for sex. She prowled restlessly back and forth beside me, then suddenly crawled between the sheets and fell asleep. When I went downstairs, I found myself at a children's party, and for no good reason, I found myself drawing the tears of a sad little fawn. Rather attractive, though a sad little fawn who kept getting herself worked up over nothing. As soon as I would calm her down about one of her anxieties, something else would occur to her and she'd start getting hysterical all over again. Finally, the clown came in with his enormous red artificial hands and throbbing red artificial nose. That she liked and when she heard some of his jokes, she stopped sobbing and began to laugh. I must admit, he was funny, and between his jokes, he turned me around and drilled my butt with his entirely unartificial big red dick, and I was yelling and making a hell of a noise. There were several maids there who brought around sandwiches, some of plain lettuce, but some with tongue. And while everyone ate, several of the children played very naughty games. And one of the maids put her tray aside, held my cock, and gently jerked it around until I cheerfully came, while the clown and the little fawn watched us and laughed." Then I got frisky and fucked one of the maids in the ass while all the other maids made a circle around us, cheering us on and screaming and clapping as we had our orgasms. A bit later, I joined some of the cats in a small private room where a rather large table was fitted out for a late snack. Mm. On each plate there was an American-style donut, like a little pink automobile tire. And in the center of the donut, facing up, there was a mouse's head. As a joke, the cooks gave two or three of us men's penis heads instead. The cats found that fantastically funny, as they were mostly quite drunk. Eventually, they all leaned back in their comfortable chairs, their bellies showing, and closed their eyes. As they dozed off dreamily, I felt so relaxed that I pulled my pants down and simply laid my dick out flat on the table, where I found it extended surprisingly far. A few random thoughts or fantasies occurred to me which lifted the dick right off the table, causing a shadow to form which fell across the faces of the cats and slightly confused them as they slept and dreamed. I watched them ineffectually trying to bat the shadow away as I slowly drifted off to sleep myself. After an hour or so, I woke up, and I didn't feel very well. Placing my penis inside my trousers, I stumbled outside and mounted the pony which had brought me to the castle. My body ached all over.
2: Hours passed at the banquet table, and finally, for dessert, a large cake was served. It was nicely shaped, blonde, with many layers, and it was thickly covered with a sticky green icing which was thoroughly enjoyed by both asses and men. By the end of the evening, many of the men were pissing and braying right along with the asses, and so no one noticed when I left the table slipping out of the room through some furry dark curtains. Instinct led me. I knew where I was going. There were no hesitations. Up flights of steps, down freezing cold hallways, on and on, until a pungent smell told me I'd found the right room. I opened a simple unlocked door, and there she was. She lay alone in sumptuous thick sheets, silver and gray, her soft little face with its wonderful stripes lying peacefully against a thin pillow. A guttering candle by the bed shed a soft yellow light. I stood and marveled at her, breathing in her overwhelming perfume. It was harsh, yet intoxicating and I could almost feel my smooth rubber penis starting to stir. Forcing myself with difficulty out of my trance-like state, I pulled the heavy knife from where it lay between my breasts, and with all my strength, trembling, I brought it down in a furious stroke and I cut off the cat's head. Blood sprayed out over the entire bed and- poured out, and it didn't stop. Leaving the head where it lay on the pillow, I carried the body into her own bathroom, held her by her back legs over her own bathtub, and shook her out until she was entirely drained. I grabbed a bag from her closet, and I stuffed the body into it, tail first. Outside. It was drizzling lightly, and my pony rocked me gently as we headed into the forest. Still clutching the bag with the cat's body in my right hand, I opened my pants with my left hand and caressed the penis, pressing it hard against my own genitals for a long time. And then I pulled it off and tossed it away. We rode gradually faster, the cold wind pleasant against my face. Midway through the trip, I reached into the bag and felt the cat's neck. A new head was already starting to
0: grow.
1: Listening to Grasses of a Thousand Colors by Wallace Shawn. I'm Andre Gregory, and I directed the production. The actors were Wallace Shawn as Ben, Julie Haggerty as Cerise, Jennifer Tilly as Robin, and Emily Cass McDonald as Rose. Bruce Odland was the composer, engineer, designer, editor, and podcast director. The mezzo soprano was Hai Ting Chin. Mastering was by Mark Fuller. Many thanks to Rob Wiener, Paul Simon, the Royal Court Theatre, Dominic Cook, Oscar Eustace, and Jeffrey Horowitz. These podcasts were produced by Mac Rogers and Sean Williams of Gideon Productions.